Whoa, look at those these miners at the window. Whoa. There's a lot, say. Yep. Hi, I'm Nikki Skews. Welcome to the podcast 54 Degrees North, Climate Chronicles of the Bulkley Valley. In this episode, we're talking bugs. Most people know about the mountain pine beetle and its links to warming winters. We also hear the science and stories about other critters impacting trees, moose, and human health. My name is Nick Meyer, owner and operator of Bugwood Bean Espresso Bar, Main Street, Smithers, BC. Now that I've lived here for over 10 years, the best way I describe it to people is like, there must be a place where there's like a ski resort, cool people, wild outdoors, and nobody knows about it. And that's what Smithers is. I am Jim Pojar, a forest ecologist who lives in Smithers. The forests of British Columbia, I would say the most obvious negative impact has been the mountain pine beetle because uh, such a big area forest was affected. The epidemic uh, occurred at least over over 10 years. The peak was 2005, so nearly 15 years ago now, but there's still uh, lots of mountain pine beetle out in the forest, but it's, it's declined much from what, what it was. But the uh, the visual impact was was large, and also the impact on on the forest industry and uh, forest dependent forestry dependent communities. Next, I talked to the regional entomologist, in other words, the expert on bugs and insects in the region. So, my name is Ken White. I'm the regional entomologist for the Ministry of Forests, Lands, Natural Resource Operations and, and Regional Development. Insects are fairly, I, I always want to say they're simple, but they're not simple. They're, they're fairly simple organisms, but one of the, because one of the things that really controls their populations is temperature, mm-hmm. right? So like with mountain pine beetle, when it, the infestation first really started going, one of the things that everybody kept saying is, well, don't worry about it. We'll have a cold winter, and then it'll all it'll all die, right? Like it happened in the caribou in the nineteen eighties. They had really cold early winter. Mountain pine beetle really started going in the central interior. People were like, "Oh, you know, well, we'll we'll get another cold winter, and then you know it'll die back." And what happened was we never we never got that cold winter, right? And also with warmer some warmer summer temperatures too that also increases the ability of the beetle to survive. So more temp- the higher temperatures you have in general, that's better for all insects. If you get higher temperatures, then insects do better. 
in general. And what are some what are some of the other infestations that we've seen or bug impacts here in the Bulkley Valley? So we had the pine beetle. Yeah, uh, we have spruce beetle infestation happening right now, which is yet another insect that is completely related to temperature. And one of the things about spruce beetle that's very interesting is that normally it takes two years to complete its life cycle. But when you get warm temperatures early in the year and the beetle can develop more rapidly and you'll actually go from a two-year life cycle to a one-year life cycle. So automatically the population increases dramatically in a very short period of time. Um, another insect that wasn't here when I first got here was the Aspen Serpentine Leaf Miner, which I don't know if we can say that's due to climate change or not, because it actually was up in the Yukon before it was here. Mm. And climate has a big impact because this isn't an insect, it's a moth. The adult is a moth and it overwinters in the duff, just in the ground, preferably under spruce trees. It, it's a very small moth and it can sort of worm its way through the spruce needles, and then it can survive over winter there, which is actually amazing in itself because, you know, they're four, four millimeters long or something, yet they have no problem surviving. But two winters ago, when we had a really cold winter with no snow, right. the moths really got knocked back because there was no cover to help protect them under the snow. But now they seem to be doing just fine again. They're back again because we had lots of snow. And, and are ago. there concerns like the longer the leaf miner is around? Because my understanding too is that, you know, maybe we've had it in the past, but then it gets, again, it gets knocked down or something like that. But I feel like it's been here for at least five years or so. More than that. I think the first report I have is actually was looking through some old emails the other day. And there was a picture I got sent from somebody in Terrace actually. And they said, I had all these, they sent some photographs and they said, I had all these little white, they, th they said flies outside my house can you tell me what they are and I always laugh because people often send me photographs and they say what is this and I can't I have no idea because it's out of focus and this was exactly <laughs> one of those photos it was just photo out their window and there was hundreds of white things in right. the air right as and now looking back on it that was probably the first really bad year and that was 2007 I think. Oh, wow. so that was terrace but I think not long after that they started showing up here in the valley, that yeah. they're only part of uh, a whole complex of things that are are hurting or harming aspen. So there's that insect. There's also insect defoliators. Um, satin moth is another one. It's an insect defoliator that actually eats the whole leaves. And then there's a couple of diseases as well that attack aspen. And in general, we just because it's a whole group of organisms we call it a complex so we just say this is like aspen decline because you can't always pin it on one particular organism but again with drought the trees are less able less able to recover from those kind of infestations whether it's a disease or an insect either one hmm. the trees become more stressed for sure The impacts uh, on willows, which come courtesy of an introduced species combined with climate change, climate warming. The introduced insect is a weevil, it's called the, the willow stem borer, and it's got like a pneumatic drill for mouth parts, and it drills into the uh, 
stems of the willows, especially bigger willows, and you can tell when, when they're attacked because you can see the holes and there's a bunch of frass or insect poop sawdust around the base of the willows, kind of orangey, and then the willow starts to kind of uh, leak from, from those holes and eventually they die. In addition to the loss of, of those tremendous willows is that the willows were, are very important browse food for moose. So there's le much less browse for moose nowadays than there used to be. You know, they have to s switch to other things like red osier dogwood and, and uh, some alpine fir and Saskatoon and other things. And although the although the willows re-sprout, a lot of them will re-sprout from the base, they uh, tend to get reattacked, at least in the valley bottom here. And their habitat seems to be getting taken over by alder, especially the uh, swamp alder. So that looks like it's going to be a, a serious long-term impact on not only the willows, but biodiversity in general, in terms of moose and all the warblers that prefer willows. Uh, it's one of those surprises that we have to expect are gonna happen increasingly. I am Chief Melmox. I currently sit as the highest ranking chief of the Taiyu clan of the Wet'suwet'en Nation, and my English name is John Ridsdale. In regards to the moose and the way we've seen their health being as stated um, with the tick population, with warmer weather, it actually takes cold weather to get rid of certain things on an animal. And at warm weather like this, the ticks are increasing. We've monitored them for the last number of years. We've actually worked with the conservation officers on monitoring with the public, and you could see the increase in them. Uh, this summer, we actually got quite lucky with our weather. It wasn't as hot as had been for the last few years, but that still doesn't mean that the animals are as healthy as they should be. You got to realize with climate change, their wintering grounds change, their birthing areas change. Even where they go for the moose into the rut, those areas have changed now because they've got to be in a temperature that they enjoy. And also the disturbances that are there, that has put a lot of pressure on our animals. Our animals are having to find new places to be and they're running out of them because there isn't that many places where humans have not had an impact. Mary Beth Pfeiffer is an investigative journalist and author of Lyme, the first epidemic of climate change. She says, we have paved the way for the first global epidemic abetted by climate change. Warming may not have caused the scourge, but it most certainly is enabling it. I talked to my neighbor, Amanda, who found a bullseye mark on her daughter's leg. My name's Amanda Follett-Hosgood. I live in Smithers, British Columbia. So it was a Monday afternoon and I was buckling my daughter, my, my then two-year-old, into her car seat. And I noticed this rash on her arm. And it's that anyone who's ever read about Lyme knows there's this distinctive bullseye rash that comes up um, after you've contracted Lyme disease. And I was kind of shocked to see this rash on my daughter's arm. 
So we went about our errands, um, and then that evening I started, I turned to Dr. Google and started looking into the rash and what it might mean, just assuming that there were probably similar rashes from other bug bites. But what I saw when I went online is that that bullseye rash for Lyme disease is actually pretty distinctive. Like from what I've seen, there's nothing else that, that closely resembles it. One thing with Lyme disease is apparently most of the ticks that carry Lyme disease are nymph ticks. So they're actually smaller than the head of a pin. So often people don't see the tick when they're contracted with Lyme. So as I was Googling, I found a map that was then posted and is still posted to um, the province's uh, health authorities website. And it shows where in the province you could contract Lyme. And it shows a few, it, you know, much of um, the southern half of the province mostly around Vancouver Island and on the coast. And it shows some really small isolated areas in the north with potential for Lyme. But the vast majority of the province, like at least two thirds of the province, would indicate that there's no potential for Lyme disease. Which as a parent whose child has potentially just been bitten by a tick is a little bit misleading because if you seek treatment right away, it's a round of antibiotics for a few weeks and you can nip it in the bud and you'll probably never have to deal with it again. If Lyme disease becomes chronic, then it can be debilitating and it can be a lifelong illness. So leading people to believe that there's absolutely no possibility of contracting Lyme in the North is actually, I believe, quite dangerous. I found a website it was the Canadian Veterinary Society, I think, whatever the, the National um, Association of Veterinarians is. And it gave the statistic that ticks are moving north at approximately, and this is very rough, but approximately 15 kilometers per year due to climate change. So, I mean, we really don't know what areas may have Lyme disease. Um, but then I, I talked to somebody with the... Um, with CanLime, the Canadian Lyme Association. And what he told me was that ticks are carried on migrating birds. So if you have migrating birds in your area, you have the potential for Lyme. It can move, it can actually move very quickly. And it might be rare in Northern BC, which I believe it is, but to imply that it's impossible is definitely misleading. So I preemptively did a round of antibiotics um, your doctor was supportive of that? The doctor agreed that if it was her child, she'd want to nip it in the bud and do the antibiotics. We also had a blood test done. It came back negative. So the blood test for Lyme disease looks for a certain number of markers of the disease in your blood. And if you have a certain number of them, it's considered a positive. But the test is quite subjective because if you have sort of a borderline diagnosis, then there's a human element that comes in. So somebody who's doing the testing will look at other factors. They'll look at whether you've been traveling, what sort of work you do. They'll look at where you live. So if you live in northern BC and your test comes back borderline, there's a good chance that person will say, well, this person isn't high risk, so I'm going to call it a negative. And that negative will go to your doctor without you ever seeing any of that background information, you'll just be told that you don't have Lyme. We've never had, what I've been told is we've never had a positive 
case of Lyme disease in northern BC. A lot of people who are dealing with the symptoms of chronic Lyme disease and can't get a positive diagnosis in Canada will go to private clinics in the States. There's one in California that's quite popular. But that positive test won't be recognized in British Columbia. If there was recognition that there is potential for getting it in northern BC and then just having people go on the antibiotics straight away, I think it could make a big difference to a lot of lives. Um, I can talk a little bit about that. Um, I mean, ticks aren't insects, but... Okay. but they're not. But, no, they're not insects, no. No, they're more, they're more closely related to spiders than they are to insects because they have eight legs, right? So, ah. so ticks are actually not insects, but that's okay. I still get asked questions about those on a fairly regular basis. So who studies ticks? What are they called? Um, Aracologist. Really? Yes. Do we have any of those? Uh, no, no. no, not here. <laughs> no, not here. Um, I, I do get asked sometimes about that. And, and again, I think um, mites and ticks, which are related, are very similar to insects in that temperature is a huge regulator of their life cycle. So again, if you have those milder winters, more ticks survive. And obviously, the more ticks that survive, the higher an impact they have on moose. Right. For sure. So you wouldn't also know, like, what, like people have claimed that there's potentially the Lyme tick, too, that has entered the region, which... Uh, that, that's potential, for sure. Um, that, that I don't have any doubt that it eventually could, could be here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've heard that there have been people who have been bitten here, and I've never seen one myself, but I'm not an emergency room doctor or anything else. I mean, I know people who have had ticks on them, but all the ones I've ever seen have been uh, dog ticks hmm. that have actually attached. Like, my wife had one this summer, actually, but that was a dog tick, not a, not a deer tick that transmits uh, Lyme disease. So you could have actually, if you've traveled, if you've been traveling, say you've gone to the coast or you've the south coast or you've gone to Ontario or something like that, you could theoretically have picked up those ticks there and they might not actually attach until you come home here. So you do have to be careful about, you know, obviously if you live here and you've never traveled anywhere else and, you know, you get one of those ticks on you, then it's obviously that that's where it came from. You get these extremes in weather, that's not good for synchrony of life cycles and things like that too because you may get two weeks of super hot weather and then all of a sudden it gets really cold so maybe you have a whole bunch of pollinators emerge because the temperature is really warm and then all of a sudden you get really cold weather and they can't go out and pollinate then they don't survive either or their young don't survive mm. and that's that's another issue that I don't think we have a really good handle on. So that's something that I'm sure people will be looking at in the future. Insects have increasingly migrated to the valley or been introduced and created a lot of devastation to various trees. And lack of cold winters are resulting in bigger and longer outbreaks. Our wildlife are also impacted from changing food sources and getting their own bugs like ticks. And we may see more Lyme disease and impacts on human health as our temperatures warm. 
We sure like to complain about bugs, annoying mosquitoes, vicious black flies, and wasps ruining a picnic. But insects are also vital to healthy ecosystems. There are a lot of unknowns with climate change, but one of the things we do know is that temperature controls bug populations. With fewer cold winters, we can likely expect a lot more pests. Thanks for listening to this podcast of 54 Degrees North, Climate Chronicles of the Bulkley Valley. This episode on bugs has been recorded on the unceded territory of the Wet'suwet'en Nation. Thanks to Witsinkwa Community Forest for a grant and Northwest Institute for supporting the creation of this series. Lots of gratitude to Facundo Gastiazoro for the artwork and some music. To CICK Community Radio for some mentorship. To Felix Gastiazoro, Nick Meyer, Jim Pojar, Ken White, Chief Namox, and Amanda Follett for the interviews. This podcast is produced by Nikki Skuse and edited with the help of Pam Hassan. Please check out our other episodes chronicling climate impacts and actions in the Bulkley Valley on forest health, salmon, extreme weather events, and glaciers and groundwater. Please rate us and comment where you get your podcasts and feel free to drop us a line at 54degreesnorthpodcast at gmail.com. That's 54degreesnorthpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Thanks.